you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 51. Genesis 51. Say amen when you're there. You're in Genesis 51? Oh, there's no 51, is there? We better back up one chapter then. Now, I, I did that on purpose to remind us when you get to chapter 50, we're at the end of the story of Joseph. So let's back up to chapter 50. Let's pick it up in verse 15 down through verse 21. <clears throat> and when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Verse 16 says, And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, therefore... Fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Our topic again tonight, and we won't finish it, but we're dealing with bitterness. And the question most of us have asked ourselves, or heard other people ask, excuse me, where is God when life hurts? Don't be shocked tonight to hear this, but the fact of the matter is, sometimes life hurts. In fact, sometimes life stinks. Life can be so painful at times. Job was right when he said, man, days are few and full of trouble. It's hard to explain when a, a family member has been killed by a drunk driver. It should never have happened. Hard to understand when one of our children end up in ICU and when our best friends decide to call it quits in their marriage. Hard to understand when the prodigal is out of touch. Hard to understand the loss of a job. Hard to know why our life's dreams did not materialize. Life is unfair. It is unfair. Pain at times overwhelms us. Numbness can set in. Times we feel all alone. Hope begins to fade. 
And I want to tell you, and Cooper, I know you work at Kings Island. There's not a roller coaster there that compares to the roller coaster of life. The ups and downs and the loops it throws toward our way. Fear overwhelm our lives. We wonder and we worry. And we wrestle with questions like, what if this happens? Fill in the blank. What if that doesn't happen? And certainly, our imaginations go wild. How many know Satan likes to use your mind to fill it with doubt and fear? Now, I've already mentioned this several times in this series. Even though we, we may not like it, God will often use adversity and mistreatment to bring us where he wants to be in our walk with God. And let me remind you, we don't see what God sees. He's infinite. We are finite. And we see tremendously less than God sees. We just can't do that. (laughs) Now, Rick, I don't know why you sang that song tonight, but the fact of the matter is, God is working. And sometimes we need to stand still. We need to be still, the psalmist said, and wait upon the Lord. And so we have to understand our God is involved even in the times of our life when we think nothing is happening. But we also know, biblically, that everything God does is for our good and His glory. And it's gonna, we're going to find out one day, maybe years later, that it was And it worked out for our good. And if we're like Joseph, and we mentioned this several times already in the last couple of weeks, I think Joseph had an aha moment. I don't know when it happened, but he realized it had to happen that way. It had to happen that way. What an example Joseph is. And I don't think there's any better example in all the Word of God of this principle than the story of Joseph that we've been focused on the last few weeks. In chapter 45 and verse 3, Joseph said to his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Verse 8, Genesis 45. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Now I read tonight, not from Genesis 51, there's no such chapter, but from chapter 50. And I did a little bit of research on this, and I couldn't really get a definitive answer. But we know by this particular text, Jacob is now dead. And the brothers are worried. Would you agree? Okay. We've been here now for these many years. Dad's been alive. And so far, Joseph has treated us well. But now that Dad is gone, what are they thinking? It's going to change. Now, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't find a definitive answer whether or not what they say here is true or whether they made it up, made it up to protect themselves. But the Bible says they sent a messenger to Joseph. And they told the messenger, tell Joseph, tell Joseph that before dad died, 
He gave a commandment that you would forgive us for what we have done to you. So, forgive their sin, forgive their trespass, they're worried. Now remember, before Joseph revealed himself, he gave them several tests to see if they changed. And they changed some, but if I'm correct, and I couldn't prove it or disprove it, they still appear to be up somewhat to their conniving ways. And I hope I'm wrong about that. They're trying to protect themselves. And the Bible says when that messenger gave the message to Joseph, the message they they told him to say, what did Joseph do? He went. All of these years, they couldn't see. They couldn't see the change that God had made in Joseph's life. They couldn't see the change in all of this. And what a story, the story of Joseph is. All the uh, episodes, if you will, I mean, it'd be like watching a TV series continued next week, right? From one thing to another. From one participant to another. And what we forget is behind all this interaction among Joseph and his family and his brothers and his dad, God is working. God is at work. Now again, you can't go to chapter 51. There is none. This is it. And Genesis begins with what? The creation. And when God created everything, he kind of looked back and said, you know what? It is good. It is good. And I think we've forgotten sometimes, and I know this doesn't sit well with tree huggers, but God didn't create this earth for trees or dogs or cats. He created this earth for us. Amen. And God created a place for us to be created into, to live on. And when God finished, he said, it is good. So you have to remember from the very beginning of this thing, God's purpose was for what? For good. For who? For us. And all this time, all these events in the life of Joseph, all the characters involved were all there for God's purpose. And it would result in good. I don't pretend to understand everything about God. I'm not him. But I do know this. God's purpose will be accomplished. And everything that God created is going to be good. There may be some hiccups along the way, but God's purpose is going to be finished. Now remember, Adam and Eve had sinned. And in chapter 3, we have the first promise of a Redeemer. How many know the whole Bible is about that story? That God was going to send a Redeemer. When Joseph goes to Egypt, that fledging nation's in trouble. 70, 75 all total. A famine would have wiped them out. But how many know Satan himself cannot wipe out the plan of God? So all this commotion, emotion, and all that going on, God is working behind the scenes. And God is going to preserve a nation. So yes, I believe Joseph realized all these things that happened, it had 
to be that way. I find it amazing we're in the last recorded conversation or interaction Joseph has with his brothers. The next few verses in Genesis 50, in the chapter, the book of Genesis, we find out how long Joseph lived after he came to Egypt. God is finished with Joseph, but God's not finished. His purpose is going to survive. And in this conversation, we realize if what the brother said, their dad said it was true, in fact. <laughs> Jacob realized that those ten brothers had done evil to Joseph. That's what it says. And then in verse 18, they go and they fall down before his face. And for the second time, he said, we're going to be your slave. But notice what Joseph says in verse 18. Fear not. For am I in the place of God? And I've got to tell you, that hit me hard. Even this afternoon as I went back and read through it again. Because if I choose not to forgive, if I choose to let my circumstances make me bitter, I'm putting myself in the place of God. And I don't belong there. I simply don't belong there. But not only do they say, we'll be your slave, your servants. The Bible says, they fell down before his face. Now think about this. I don't know, some, quite a few years have gone by by now. From the time when he had the dream. And he says to them, one day you'll bow. And their response is, we never will. And now, I went back through this week and I counted. Here in chapter 50, in verse 18, that's the fourth time they bowed down before Joseph. But the truth of the matter... In verse 20, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. I think a second thing that Joseph realized, not only did it have to be this way, this was not the story of Joseph. God was using him, yes. It's the story of God. God involved in the affairs of mankind for his glory and for our good. But then in verse 21, wow, what a, what a statement. Now, folks, if you can read that and tell me that God had not done a work in Joseph's life, you're kidding yourself. He says, now, therefore... Fear ye not. Fellas, don't be afraid. Not only am I going to save your life, not only am I not going to punish you, I am going to nourish you, but also your children. I am going to take care of you. I think we mentioned in week one, if anybody had a right to be bitter, Joseph did. But he allowed God to take that away from him. He realized that his wants and his desires were nothing compared to what God wanted. 
And he realized it had to come out this way because God was going to preserve the people. So, where are we at? There's no doubt in my mind, Joseph knew what they did. Jacob knew what they had done. The brothers knew what they had done. They knew their intent. Joseph and Jacob knew their intent. But Joseph came to a place in his life, he realized that God allowed it. God allowed it. Lord, help me to have that vision of God. Help me to realize it's not man who determines the outcome, it's God. It's the hand of God. Weeping for the fourth time, he reassures them twice. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am going to take care of you and your children. Would you agree, as we look at this story tonight, that God had taken something meant for bad, that's what it was meant for, and he brought good from it. And we began to look at this topic last week. It's very clear that God had used evil men with evil intentions, if you will, and he used those evil men with those wrong intentions to bring about his perfect will. By the way, let me remind you, God doesn't need our help. Amen. But God uses even wicked men. So what they had done to Joseph fit the plan of God. What they had done to Joseph eventually brought him to where he was, where God wanted him to be. Let me, let me give you some lasting principles here tonight. Just going to give them to you and move on. Uh, first of all, we know that God cannot sin. So we have to make a distinction between God controlling evil and God creating evil. God does not create evil. He controls evil. Second principle. God is not the author of sin. But God can and he does use sinful men to attain an objective. Third principle. If God was not able to control evil, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't. Be God. According to James chapter 1 verse 13, God does not sin and he never performs evil. Number five, God can and sometimes does use the sin already existing in our world to fulfill his purpose. How many know that God is never out of control? He's always in control. And number six, how God chooses to operate is not up to me. And I got to tell you, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm glad it's not. How God chooses to operate, it's up to Him. It is up. To him. Sometimes he'll intervene with a miracle. Other times he's working behind the scenes. And yes, there are times that God does allow at least a certain measure of freedom to evil forces to bring about his purpose. But he's always in control. I think I may have mentioned this last time. We talked a little bit about Job. 
And I was, I, I've always been taken aback there in chapter 1 toward the end of the chapter. When Joseph, I'm sorry, Job gets word that his, his family is gone. The Bible said he bowed, he bowed down and he worshipped. He worshipped. And whenever we can view life from God's perspective... Our response will be like Job. We will bow down and we'll worship God when the final word is worship. Now remember, God is not the cause of evil. He never would do that. God's not even a partner in evil. And it's hard to Put it into words, but God does get involved in the evil deeds of evildoers to work out his purpose. Doesn't cause them to sin, doesn't cause them to do evil, but he takes what they do and allows it to fit in to God's ultimate plan. He is in control. So how does God do this? Well, number one, we did this last, we won't spend a lot of time there tonight. He simply allowed Joseph's brothers to reveal what was in their hearts. Did God make them envy Joseph? No. Did God make them do what they didn't know? What was in their heart simply came out. In fact, everything... Everyone, the story of Joseph, those who lied upon him, those who forgot him, simply God revealing what was in their hearts. The second thing God allowed, he allowed Satan to instigate them to do evil. But even that was for their ultimate good and God's glory. First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. How many know Satan is not your friend? He wants to destroy us. But the third thing, and here's what we left off last week, God withdraws his restraining grace. But what is restraining grace? It simply means... That God doesn't allow things to get as bad as it could be. I was thinking this week, and you're going to highlight a couple of them, of examples from the scriptures of God's restraining grace. And by the way, if you don't know this, write it down in the book you write things down in. God's restraining grace is a good thing. Amen. Thank God for restraining grace. One of the first examples I remember reading in the scripture is Abraham and Abimelech. You remember Abraham goes down to Egypt. Uh, Sarah is a knockout. She is gorgeous. And Abraham says, Sarah, when we get down there, tell them you're my sister because if you don't, He'll kill me so he can have you as his wife. Genesis 20, verse 5. Now, God is speaking to Abimelech. And God says to Abimelech in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in integrity of thine heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I not to touch her. Would you agree that God restrained Abimelech? And it was for his good. God's restraining grace is good. Not only Abraham and Abimelech, but how many know the nut doesn't fall far from the tree? Right, Bud Jr.? Don't say it. <laughs> Genesis 26, verse 10. 
And Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might have lightly lined with thy, or laid with thy life, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. Now, if you read the story, uh, the Bible says that uh, Abimelech looked out the window one day, and he saw uh, Isaac sporting with his wife. I don't know what that means. But right away, Abimelech knew, not his sister. This is his wife. And he rebukes Isaac. And he says, basically, if God hadn't stopped us, you would have brought guilt upon us. The restraining grace of God is good. Another example that came to my mind was David and Abel. David had, in his ragtag army, had protected Nabal for some period of time. Uh, didn't allow anybody to invade their camp. Protected them from the enemies. And David sent some messengers. Hey, you know, we, we're, we're out of food. We need help. And Nabal was well off enough to provide what David and his army needed. And Nabal says, no, I'm not going to do it. David didn't go away. It didn't go away. Well, David, he was on the way to kill Nabal. First Samuel 25, 32 and 33. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. So I I see three specific examples of God's restraining grace. God's restraining grace is a good thing. But my friend... It will not be a good day. It is not a good time when God's restraining grace is withdrawn. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of that verse. A lot of uh, debate, discussion. Who is the he? When's it going to happen? But here's what I know for sure. Whoever it is that's restraining evil in this world. Now remember, Paul said evil's already at work. But if you think it's bad now, Paul said when God removes that restraining grace, all hell is going to break loose. It's going to be harmed. And I'm going to tell you, folks, whenever God removes his hand of grace, things always fall apart quickly. Always. Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that God exercised judgment, his judgment, on those who refuse to believe. And the Bible says he exercises that judgment by allowing men and women, giving them over to more sin. Romans 1, verse 24. Wherefore? Wherefore, God also gave him up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. The 
They had taken the truth of God and turned it into a lie. They refused to hear God's words. And so the Bible says God gave them up. If that's what you want, go for it. If that's the desire of your heart, pursue it. And sometimes, sometimes God's judgment on sinners is to do nothing. If you want to destroy your life, have at it. If you don't want to live for me, that is your choice. If you want to destroy your family, I won't stop you. When God's restraining grace is removed, things fall apart quickly. You've already rejected me. There was a time you knew God, but not anymore. And because you've rejected me by your own choice, God says, I will respect your decision. I respect your decision. If you want to jump off the cliff, jump. But folks, listen well. There are jagged rocks at the bottom. Whenever men despise the mercy of God, the only thing left is God's judgment. That's it. God blinds the eyes of those who choose not to see. Isaiah's preaching was a good example of that. They had ears, they had eyes, they couldn't hear, they couldn't see. He also hardens the hearts of those who have made their mind up to go their own way. So, sometimes God removes his restraining grace. Now remember, he could have stopped Joseph's brothers. But he didn't, because God had a greater purpose in mind. The fourth thing that God does, and even with Joseph's brothers, we see it very clear, he used those evil brothers... To accomplish his own purpose. And how many know that God does it all the time? He did it then. In Joseph's life. And sometimes the truth is he does use evil deeds of evildoers. To further his plans in our world. How many know that when Christ was born... God used the fear of Herod to guide the Magi to Bethlehem. Think about that. And just a, I don't know, a year or so later, two years later maybe, Herod decided to slaughter all the male boys under two years, two years and younger. And God used that. He didn't cause it. But he used that to send Mary and Joseph and the Christ child into Egypt. It had to be. Because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, Out of Egypt I called my son. So God allowed that evil to further his purpose. We are getting close to the, I guess we are in the Easter season. Ash Wednesday's, come, Ash Wednesday's already come and gone. We're in the Lent season. 
And for several years, I would hear on the radio, especially on secular radio, on talk shows, the question was, who killed Jesus? It's been going on for 2,000 years. Who killed Jesus? Well, did the Jews kill Jesus? I guess if we're honest, in a sense, they did. What about the Jewish leaders? Did they, did they kill Jesus? I think it's clear from the study of the New Testament, they wanted him dead. They wanted him to be dead. And, and they also plotted to make it come to pass. But what about the Romans? I mean, if you know your scriptures, the reason the Jewish authorities went to the Romans because the Jews didn't have an authority to put someone to death. But Romans did. So, the Romans were the only ones who had the legal right to take a life. What about the centurions? I mean, they were the ones who actually carried out the crucifixion of Christ. But what about you and me? What about the whole sinful world of humanity? Are we guilty of his death? Was it not my sins, our sins, that put him on the cross? And we have to answer yes. So I I submit tonight to all of us, when it comes to guilt about the death of Christ, there's plenty to go around. Plenty to go around. But one more. What about God? What about God? Now, I, I realize, and I think it's good theology, theology to know, that God cannot be guilty of the death of Christ. But my question is, was the death of Christ a part of God's plan. Yes. Not because things turn sour in his ministry here, but the death of Christ was part of the plan of God from the foundation of the world. Because God knew that what he created good, man would destroy, and God said, I'll make it good again. And the only way to do that to send the Savior. So yes, it was God's plan from the beginning. He does use wicked people, even like Joseph's brothers, to accomplish his own purposes. Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now John is writing about those who worship Satan, the Antichrist. And John said when if their name is not written in the book of life, they are going to worship Satan. But notice how he describes this. The book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Who was that Lamb? Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we bring it together? How, how do we reconcile the plan of God and human guilt in the death of Christ? Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Peter's preaching here, speaking of Christ. He says, Him. Being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified 
and slain. Notice these two things. There was a determinate council. How many know the Jews were not going to be satisfied until they had him killed? They were determined to kill him. And Peter does not exonerate them. But he also says, what you have to understand, God used you to bring it about. He allowed your evil intention to bring it about. But please understand, he says, this was all according to the foreknowledge of God. And so we have to remember that the death of our Savior, the death of Christ, was not an accident. It was not some afterthought from God. It's not plan B because all of a sudden things got out of control. (laughs) Jesus died. Hear me well. He died according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. It was going to happen. It had to happen. Why? It was part of the plan of God from the foundation of the world. Thank God for that. And yet, at the same time, yes, it was God's definite plan. Yes, God did know it ahead of time. But at the same time, Peter reminds us that the death of Christ took place at the hands of wicked men. God used them to further his purpose in this world. And by the way, those men stand guilty before God. They stand guilty before God. Now, by the way, when we think about the crucifixion of Christ, how many know it had to happen by God's definite plan? It had to happen by God's foreknowledge because Jesus could never have died otherwise. In fact, Jesus said, no man takes my life. It couldn't, except he lay it down. I've shared this often. I, I, like to, I used to listen to quite a bit to Steve Brown. And I don't know that his full program is on local radio anymore, but he does have like a minute or two spot every day on 93.7. And if there's a 25-point Calvinist, he's won. Yet he's got a great heart for God, and he's got a great spirit about him. And somebody had written in some years ago, he used to do questions and answers on Wednesdays and Fridays on his broadcast. And, of course, he is totally predestination. And somebody... Ask the question, how do you reconcile, put together, predestination and free will? And I love his answer. He says you can't put them together, but they're both in the Bible. They are both in the Bible. And so it's hard for us to grasp that, and I understand that. But we also have to understand, somehow, in some way, there has to be a perfect harmony between what God chooses, his predestination, and the free moral choices we make. Everything works out for our good and God's glory. So when we think about Jesus Christ, we think about what God allowed to bring his death about. When we think about what God allowed to happen to Joseph to put him where he was, where God needed him most, we have to understand that God did use wicked men in both cases to bring Joseph to where he was, but also (laughs) used those men, those wicked men, who crucified our Lord and Savior. So, yes, 
God does use wicked men. There are times he removes his restraining grace, but God is always in charge. So, now that we know that, and I think it's important we we get those principles down, because too many Christians have built their own God. And the God they have put in their mind is not the God of the Bible. So how does knowing these principles, how does that help our faith? Let's stand together. Continue next week. I'm really glad that God's in charge. Amen. We may not understand. We may not even like what's going on. But God is definitely in charge. Father, thank you for all you are and all you do. Lord, help us to settle, settle that in our minds that we are not God and you are. And Father, help us to come to a point in our life like Joseph did where you became greater to him than all of his troubles and trials. Father, help us to be still and wait upon you, to know that no matter what is going on, Lord, you are at work behind the scenes. I know, Lord, your will will often be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for the assurance of that and the peace it brings into our lives. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.